Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Something Rhymes With Purple. Some things do rhyme with purple as we repeat very often on this podcast about words and language for you, the purple people and the purple community. Um, I'm Susie Dent and with me as ever is the wonderful Charles Brandreth. Hi Charles. It's good to be with you again Susie. Well likewise I want to ask you how do you feel Giles? Can I tell you candidly how I feel today? I feel bonny. I feel brilliant. I feel bumptious. I feel full of the bubbling joys of life. And that makes my friends, my family sigh. They think, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, goodness, how exhausting it is. You're a giggle mark. As somebody who is permanently cheery and optimistic and so actually gets on the nerves of other people. Maybe you're not permanently, but it's a great Victorian phrase. I think I'm very lucky. I I get up in the morning and I do see the glass half full. And today, because we were doing the podcast, I thought, oh, it's wonderful in a world where, you know, you, you if you do turn on the television or the radio and you listen to the news or read the newspaper, there's so much grim that is going on. And then I think, oh, no, I can escape into the world of words today with my friend Susie Dent. It is an oasis, isn't it? It is. So I feel very jolly and I feel doubly jolly because a jiffy bag... Is it called a jiffy bag when it's a padded bag? Yes, no one knows why it's called a jiffy bag. Oh, really? You certainly can't open them in a jiffy, can you? You can't. Uh, But anyway, a jiffy bag arrived and inside it was a new book by you. And I thought, yay, Christmas is coming. I've now got the present I'm going to give to everybody. Uh, Tell me me about the new book and are you feeling bonny about it? Well... As you will remember from my last book called Word Perfect, the advanced copy was not such a pleasant experience for me because I received it on publication day because it was published during COVID. And so the lead times were incredibly short, so short that I genuinely didn't get a copy in advance. So it was a slight misnomer and opened it up. And then, as you will remember, discovered loads of typos that was actually very much word imperfect. That was not the case this time, I'm glad to say. Uh, and for me, I still get the same buzz. I mean, I've written lots of books, starting even before you. How many, actually? Because Jimmy Carr would tease you mercilessly, because on the comedy show that I work on, he's just always, you know, calling them a form of euthanasia or belonging in a charity shop, etc. How many have you actually written? I don't know how many I've written, but I have written a lot, because when my children were small, I wrote a lot of children's books. 
Yes. Um, so I did lots of extra books for them, and I've done novels, and I've done I've done books about words and language, and I've done biographies and autobiographies. But I do still remember my very first book, published in the early 1970s, so 50 years ago, mm. called Created in Captivity. Long since out of print, I don't think you would even Abe Books might supply you with a copy. Um, it's it's a it was a book about. People in prison. It was about about the creative work of people in prison. A serious book, yeah. uh, based on my my interest in prison and prison reform and the use of art and creativity uh, to help prisoners become, in some cases, educated. One I great... would, would love to think that we have some in prison amongst the purple community. Actually, be lovely. Do write in if you if you are. Please write in. One of the great challenges for many people in prison is literacy. My, mm. my wife has been a teacher in prisons, teaching people to, to read and to write, and first of all, to tell the time. I mean, uh, language is so important, communicating, yes. and being able to write and to read. And so that was what my first book was about. But the point is, when the first box of books arrived and I tore it open, that thrill of seeing it there, mm. uh, taking off the dust jacket, looking at the spine, smelling the paper, it was fantastic. And I still, 50 years later when I have a new book coming out, and I feel that thrill. So I hope you are feeling thrilled. There should be a word that is not in the dictionary because it's a dictionary of emotions. It's a word for as many feelings that I could describe, as I could define, I suppose, and as many as I could find. There are linguistic gaps, obviously, and we've just found one, which is the thrill of seeing a book that you've just written for the first time. So is that what your book is called, A Dictionary of Emotions? It's called An Emotional Dictionary. And I called oh, it I like An it. Emotional Dictionary because it is quite idiosyncratic. It's not written as an objective piece of lexicography. It's written as my collection of words that I found interesting, that sang to me, that made me smile, uh, or that I related to in some way. Given that I know we have five-year-olds listening, because one of them wrote to us, or their mother did, his mother did last week, what does idiosyncratic mean and why? So idiosyncratic is sort of individual, possibly quite quirky, a very sort of personal and not necessarily predictable course or state of affairs, really. So if something is idiosyncratic, it might be a little bit quirky. And the word emotion, what what does that what's the difference between motion and emotion? emoting takes it around that not a lot actually because they're all to do with movement and so motion is obviously uh, to do with movement and an emotion is something that stirs or moves you in some way great mm. so this is about emotions feelings how we are exactly very good and i am going to give you some of my absolute favorites to see whether you can relate Ooh. to them whether you've ever experienced them and how you feel about them and maybe you can find a scenario in which you could use them Oh, wonderful. So these would be unusual words, yes. will they? Yes, some of them from other languages, so they're not all English, I should say. So some of them are the, the famous untranslatables, the perfect words from other languages. That... Oh, how interesting. So this won't include, as it were, happiness as an emotion. Oh, yes, it does. Ah, it good. started off, actually, as a collection of words that I loved, that I had found in historical dictionaries, because, as you know, that's what I love doing. And then we realised that I couldn't call it an emotional dictionary if I didn't also give the sort of standard emotions like love, like yeah. jealousy, like envy, like greed, like angst. So I've covered those as well, not in a kind of particularly historical or philosophical sense, but more in a kind of linguistic sense, really. Uh, this is going to be fun. Give me the title again. It's called An Emotional Dictionary, and the subtitle is Real Words for How You Feel from Angst to Zwadda. 
angst as well. Well, you've got to explain both of those in a (laughs) moment. But do you want to play your game first? It's not really a game. It's just some of my favourites, as I say, mostly because I I think a lot of these, we we probably didn't realise that there was a name for this particular emotion. I'm going to start with a Japanese word, age otori. Age otori. Means looking worse when you leave the hairdressers than when you went in. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I think that's completely wonderful. You know that feeling where you are looking in the mirror and the hairdresser (sighs) has the mirror and says, what do you think? And you are dying a little inside, but you still say, oh, it's great. Thank you. This happened to my wife only yesterday. She came back from the hairdresser. It's not cheap nowadays because we were going to a special dinner for some people. It was their 50th wedding anniversary. She wanted to look. She came back and the person she'd hoped to have do her hair wasn't available, was away. So she got somebody else who seemed very nice. But as she said, her hair looked like dead rat's tails. (laughs) That's what she felt it was like. And she thought, oh, gosh, I've got to pay all this money. Then I've got to give her a tip. And and it's awful. In fact, it was quite nice. I I think it it was very nice. But she felt... Age otori. Age otori, exactly. And I have to say, I had this experience as an au pair in Germany. I'm sure I've told you about this, where I went in for a perm and I kept this in the 90s and they clearly weren't very experienced at giving me perms and they actually burnt a piece of hair off my scalp. Oh, I had to wear a bandana for a month afterwards until the hair grew back. So I definitely was Age otori. I was last Age Otori in a bad way in 1966. I can remember it so vividly because I went for my gap year to the United States of America where I discovered uh, there was Beatlemania everywhere. I was British, I had an English accent, and they wanted me to look like the Beatles. But unfortunately, my parents had said, you better get your hair cut before you go. So I had a virtually a crew cut. All my hair was cut off my head. And I looked before I went to America, a little bit like a mop-topped beetle. I had long hair. But when I arrived in America, I I looked like some military recruit. Um, Like a pudding bowl. I had a pudding bowl. Like the sort of monkeys. Uh, Well, no, not as good as that. Not as nice. No, I had virtually no hair at all. It was all taken off. It was sort of shaved off my head. So I came out of the hairdresser suffering from profound Aggie Otori. We've both had experiences of that. Right. The second one is there's two foreign words. They're not all foreign words in the dictionary, but I do love these ones. Shinrin-yoku. You might have heard of this. Ooh. It's Japanese for forest bathing. But I know it more as a German word, Waldeinsamkeit, which means the spiritual feeling of being alone in a forest. Ooh. As we've said very often, I I love trees. I'm a dendrophile. I absolutely adore trees. So finding yourself between a canopy of trees on your own is something so special. And actually, research has been done now that shows, a bit like swearing, it lowers cortisol levels and your blood pressure and it increases serotonin. So it's that kind of spiritual response to trees. And I think I felt that all my life. I'm very interested in this. We're going to another day. I want to argue through this thing about the swearing and its effect, because I just so hate swearing. And I don't like doing it, and I don't like people who do it. No, it's a very personal thing. Yeah, and so I'm distressed to find that it does people good. But tell me 
what you do if you if you really hurt yourself, if you really stub your toe badly and you're hopping around? What what kind of thing do you say? Or do you not say anything? What I well, I say things like Jiminy Cricket. I use euphemisms okay. of different kinds. Yes. But what I've learned from experience, and recently, as you know, I a month or so ago I broke my arm. Yes. Fell over my big fat feet and broke my arm. It has been very painful indeed. I know. But I have discovered better than the painkillers, lying in bed being as still as possible. Mm -hmm. And that calms me down. Okay. And so cursing about it, swearing about it, is not good for me. But your Shinrin-yoku, is that right it is? Yes, Shinrin-yoku, or Waldeinsamkeit. It's it's a beautiful feeling, is it? Yes. Because I'm not good at being alone in a wood. Oh, aren't you? I've got the Hansel and Gretel syndrome. I'm not a country person. Okay. I like the idea of a little sort of, uh, you know, primrose glade, even... Uh, going into a wood and finding lovely, you know, purple flowers there. I, that's charming in a way, but on my own, cracking the bracken with my feet. What's coming for me behind? behind who's lurking behind that tree? No, 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 no. The big bad bear. Um, oh, I, abs- I absolutely love it. As you can probably hear, there's my cat, probably, although I don't take forest walks with her, but she's meowing heavily. Can you hear her for some food? So she's slightly broken the spud of the woods for me. She'll probably keep meowing for food. No, but, but I love I love being with a cat. Be I'd feel much better in the wood yes. with my cat or my dog. <laughs> okay. But I I don't think I'm going to have the Shinrin Yoko experience. Okay. Well, this might be one for you. I yes. again I'm not sure you feel this. I promise I'm gonna stop with the German words in a minute. As you know, German was my absolute first love. But you work non-stop. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you feel what I'm about to describe because I think actually for you, if you stop, you feel awful, as I do sometimes. But there is a German word, Eilkrankheit, which is basically, it means hurry sickness. And it's the anxieties induced by always rushing around, by always your heart's beating fast because you're always rushing for a deadline. And in the book, I say, you know, T.S. Eliot spoke of measuring out his life with coffee spoons, but then he didn't anticipate school runs, Zoom calls and dental appointments, as well as all our kind of work (laughs) deadlines. And I thought it was ironic that it was the Germans who came up with this word for this stress of rushing about because um, their national stereotype is built on efficiency, isn't it? But I think it probably describes a lot of us. But like you, I do also feel quite ill when I when I just stop everything because my body's just not used to it. Whether I think the word is useful is it describes that thing where there's too much going on, where there's the yes. pressure. You've yes. got so many things to think about. And the, the, the advent of email has made that worse. You've got emails, you've got texts, you've got WhatsApp, yeah. all trying to get in touch with you. Yeah. And what actually you want to do is get on with your book. I am now trying to finish a, a, another book, a new book. I find working exhilarating. My wife tells me, oh, it's rather sad, Giles. You're one of these men who is defined by your work. You think you have no value unless you are working. No, but I don't think that is sad. Well... You no, know, you also go to the theatre, you go to Oh, yes. Films. Um, uh, it's not that you are constantly, constantly no, turned no. to your desk at all. In fact, you're rarely at your desk. And we go to the pub uh, to have supper in order not to be nice. in the house with the children. Yes. Um, you, know. <laughs> you know the next word on my list very well, because I've spoken about it often on the pod, and that is confelicity. It's one of your favourite words. It is. It is pleasure in someone else's happiness. Finding joy, you know, completely unselfish joy in somebody else being happy. And I think there's no better expression of that, really, than seeing the joy on a child's face, is there, when they're sort of opening their Christmas stocking or uh, see that Santa has come. I love that. I love it so much. 
I wrote a murder mystery once, one of my Oscar Wilde, Arthur Conan Doyle, Victorian murder mysteries, when I discovered that there is some evidence that uh, it's impossible to look at a, a photograph or a picture of a happy child and not smile yourself. Oh, yes. That, that, is, that is the natural reaction. And that there is something, as it were, wrong with you if you don't show that emotion. And I used that as a way of sort of working out who the uh, the psychopathic killer might be. That's um, really interesting. I think the converse is true too, that actually the, the sound of a child crying goes right through you, doesn't yeah. it? It's it's almost intolerable. It certainly does when you're on a train. <laughs> or a plane, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're in the next row. But I love it. <laughs> so con felicity is share, con as in sharing, felicity as in happiness. Exactly. Yes. The next one, before we take a break, I'm going to give you one, which is, uh, let me just ask you, have you ever done something knowing that you're going to regret it? Most days. I've got better <laughs> at it. Okay. As you speak, as the words come out of your mouth, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I making this mistake? Yes. This happens all the time. So what is this word? Uh, well, there's two words, actually. But I'll start with the formal, more sophisticated one. It's from Greek, and it's kakoethes, which is the irresistible oh. desire to do something unwise. It was one of my trio once, actually, kakoethes. And you know that any word beginning with kak, whether it's C-A-C or K-A-K, is bad because it is from the Greek for bad. So you have cacophony, you have ah. the cacistocracy, the worst kind of government. Um, and cacoethes is an ill habit or an itch. It's, it's that kind of itch to do something in a knee-jerk kind of way when you know that actually you should just stop and think. And I think emails are the perfect example of that. You know, you might be really riled oh. by an email and just immediately draft a rather sort of sharp reply when actually if you'd taken an hour, you would just laugh at yourself, but we never do take an hour. Do you know uh, the three most important words in the English language, other than don't dabble focus, are far better not. Yes. Far better not. Yes. Uh, it was a phrase made popular by a Victorian politician. I don't know if he became prime minister or not. But when, you know, young officials would give him ideas and uh, produce papers, he would simply say, far better not. Yes. Just yes. leave well alone. Good. So this yeah. word is kakoethes. And if you want something which is slightly easier to say, there is a modern blend for doing something you already know is a mistake, and that's pregret. Oh, it's brilliant. <laughs> yes. Oh, can we do some more of these after the break? Yes, please. Stay tuned. You won't pregret it. You'll be thrilled. <laughs> Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, not, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. Welcome back to Something Rhymes with Purple. You can see us on stage, by the way, 
Uh, we've had one show so far. We do a live podcast, don't we, at the Fortune Theatre, and we've done one in Oxford, and our next show is going to be on the 16th of October in London at the Fortune yes. Theatre in Covent Garden. And all the, the live shows, they're, they're different, and we like to meet as many purple people as possible. So come along. And will you be signing your new book, maybe? I hope I will. The... I'll definitely have Word Perfect, hopefully some of these as well. Yes. For tickets for these live shows, info, go to somethingrhymeswithpurple.com or follow us on social media at somethingrhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at somethingrhymeswith on Instagram. So you are taking me through some of the amusing, interesting, real words in your... An Emotional Dictionary. An Emotional Dictionary by Susie Dent. What's the subtitle? It is Real Words for How You Feel from Angst to Zwarder. Oh, I want to know about angst and zwarder. So angst, I think normally angst comes prefaced by teen, doesn't it? Because we see it as a kind of rite of passage in, uh, in puberty. But I think also it's also true that a lot of us have felt angst, which of course comes from German directly, in our lifetimes. But I'm not a great philosophical historian, but I do know it was central to the work of Soren Kierkegaard. And oh. he argued that we only really become aware of our potential through angst because he thought that whoever has learned to be anxious in the right way has learned the ultimate, which is really interesting. And he also thought that if you look over a cliff's edge, you know, that sort of vertiginous moment of looking down from a cliff, you fear falling, but you also have what the French call l'appel du vide, which is the call of the void, the call of emptiness, the kind of the opportunity to jump. But luckily, very few of us kind of act that out. So lots and lots of kind of philosophical exploration has been done on angst, but it's kind of broadened out a little bit to mean sort of general kind of anxiety. So we have angst rock, the music genre, which focuses on frustration and despair. And also, I think there was a lovely quote from the actor Jim Broadbent, because, you know, a lot of us will kind of perhaps, using a bit of hyperbole, talk about feeling angst quite often. He says, you can't be angsty all day, or else it becomes a sort of pale angst, which was quite fun. I'm one of those people who believes in a little a little touch of anxiety does you good. Really? Yes. Oh, I would like to be free from it for a while, I think. Oh, I don't know. I think a little tension. You know, people say yeah. you don't want to be totally stress-free, keeps you on your toes. Okay. But I think you've got to get the balance right. You don't want to be stomach churning all day long. No, and there's, there was a great, I think it was George Bernard Shaw said, didn't he? A lifetime of happiness. No man could bear it. It would be hell on earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. There's another lovely word in the dictionary which I put in the book, which is merry-go-sorry. Do you remember that? To be merry-go-sorry, well, life is merry-go-sorry because sometimes it's really happy and then sorrow comes around and then it will turn around. What is Zwada? Zwada. Zwada. Sounds German. It's not actually. Dutch. No, it began with a dialect, English dialect word swada with a s which is to grow weary with drinking weirdly but now swada is sort of languorous laziness really it's a drowsy stupid state of body and mind that's how it's defined in the english dialect dictionary so it's just the kind of snooziness that you feel on a hot summer's day really i like to think Yes. Do you like that sensation? Well, as I say, I'm not very good at it, but I need to get better at it. I am determined that I am actually going to get to go on a holiday where I just sit still. I think I really need I think my body needs it now. It's fatal to go on holiday. I've worked this out. Well, I'd been on no holiday at all since before COVID. And then a month ago, my wife said, we were going away. I I had to go and meet somebody for research for a book I'm writing in (laughs) Scotland. My wife said, you've got to go to that meeting in Scotland. Let's take a long weekend. And it was a bank holiday weekend, and so we thought we'd go to Scotland. We Mm. arrived where we were due to go, Anstruther, 
You go via Edinburgh to Lucas and then you take a taxi to Anstruther. It seems to me to be in the middle of nowhere. We arrived at 5.15. We checked into the B&B at 6.15. We're walking down the road to the Harbour Bistro when I fall over my oh, big, fat, flat feet. And I thought it was your umbrella. No. Well, yes, oh. that's what I thought. But my wife has decided it was my big, fat feet. I was carrying an umbrella. You're right. And I, I fell, and hitting a wall as I fell. Oh. And I think it was the wall now. that Anyway, that's why I broke my humerus in two yes. places. Breaking your humerus is not funny. Not funny. I'm still... At all. So that this is the point. We go for a fall. No, go on holiday. It's a killer. You fall <laughs> over in the street, you break your arm. Oh, you did meet some lovely NHS people, let's be fair. We did. NHS Fife, they came to the rescue. If you want to have an accident, do it, do it in, in Fife. Fife. Do it in Anstruther. No, no, I, I, I do understand that. I, for me, it's just it's just maybe sitting still and reading lots of books. But Oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. I agree. That I do like. It's it's the Zvoda that I'm not quite sure about. I know what you mean. It sounds like the sort of linguistic equivalent of falling asleep, having a daytime nap and napping for too long and wake up feeling like hell on earth. I understand where you're coming from with that. Let me give you, I'll give you two more. Good. Uh, and then we must move to correspondence. And again... The first one you'll be able to decode, I think, if you're ill-willy. Ill-willy, that sounds a bit unfortunate. Is this some <laughs> awful sexually transmitted disease? I'm suffering from ill-willy. What is it? When we did our live show on happiness, I think we covered good-willy, and ill-willy is the opposite, malevolent, wishing bad luck upon others. And there is actually a well-willy and also an evil-willy, the most extreme of the willies, <laughs> and that's somebody who, you know, has real malevolence and spite. Well, Willie. Oh. There's also the Wellwooder, W E U L D E R, the Wellwooder. And that's somebody who is really happy for your success as long as it's not more success than they have. Conditional sort of happiness or well wishes. That relates to my favourite Chinese proverb there is no pleasure so great as seeing a good friend fall off the roof. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is harsh. <laughs> anyway, ill willy. It's, so it's to do with ill will, not to do with willies. Yes, exactly that. There's, there's a great German word, which I put in the dictionary as well, which is fremdscham, which is stranger shame. And that's that kind of slightly cringy humiliation that you feel on someone else's behalf. But there is that whole feeling of, oh, well, it could have been me, and the sort of delight that it isn't. So it's a very kind of complex complex emotion, I think. What does schadenfreude mean? Is that a kind of emotion? Yeah, so schadenfreude probably the most well-known, the most familiar German emotion, I think. And schadenfreude, it literally means harm, joy, and it is joy in someone else's misfortune. Uh. So it's almost the opposite of complicity, not quite the sort of near opposite, really. But Germans do those kind of emotions very, very well. In English, I have to say, we do melancholy quite well. And in our bonus episodes, I'm going to tell you the story of melancholy, because that's quite something. But let's we move to our correspondence and then cover We will, but before we do, can I... Can I say, this book sounds completely wonderful. Um, People can hear more about it in our our bonus episode, which is available if you belong to our our little club, which is fun because if you want ad-free versions of the show, and you can find out all about that by, you know, investigating further. But I I love the sound of the book, and it sounds like a perfect book to give, frankly, to give family and friends at Christmas. So I'm going to try and negotiate with my local independent bookshop. I I love an independent bookshop. We're not done with emotions yet because our first bit of correspondence is also asking about an obscure German word, although perhaps it's not a feeling so much as an act. Uh, this one is from Alan Wilson. Hello, I have a favour to ask. At the first live show from Cadogan Hall in London, Susie mentioned a word in German that means to ignore someone spitting when they talk to you. Please, please would you remind me of the word 
I was talking with three German colleagues recently who had no idea that there was such a word in their language. I tried using Google, but I didn't get anywhere. Many thanks, Alan. Well, thanks, Alan. The reason you didn't find it is that it's an entirely made up word, but still a legitimate word, of course, by Ben Schott in his brilliant book Schottenfreude, in which he found as many linguistic gaps as he could find in English and then got a German translator to make up, a bit like Lego, some German words. And this was one of them. And he decided to call it in English saliva stoicism, which is, uh, as, as, um, as Alan says, uh, ignoring someone's spitting on you when you when they're talking to you. And it's Speichelgleichmut. So that's Speichel meaning spit, S-P-E-I-C-H-E-L, and then Gleichmut, which is stoicism, G-L-E-I-C-H-M-U-T. I hope that helps. It certainly helps. Helps us all. Uh, who else has been in touch? We have uh, a message from Jack. Hood as well, who has left us a voice note. Hi guys, Gormless, where and what is his background? Thanks for the entertaining podcast and keep up the good work, Jack. Gormless, tell us about Gormless. Okay, well this is a happy one. It's it's one of the orphaned negatives that I talk about so much because you could be gormful, at least you could be full of gorm. Gorm comes from a Viking word, G-A-U-M it was spelt, which meant, had a bit of a double life because it meant to take heed but also to be a bit kind of vacant. But the take heed sense kind of won, I think. And so to be gormless is to be without any heed whatsoever. And there was also a lovely adjective, gorm-like, which means to have an intelligent look about you. Oh, I like that. Um, Now, Jazz, we haven't got a trio this week because I've bombarded you with words from my book, but I'm really hoping you've got a poem. I have got a poem, and it's one of my favourites from my childhood. And the reason I've chosen it is that in recent weeks... I have been thinking about our late Queen, Elizabeth II, because of her recent passing and because I wrote a book about her husband, Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, a year or so ago. And somebody asked me if I would like to, it was a portrait of him, if I would like to write a, a more personal portrait of the Queen. So I've been reading about the Queen. Obviously, everybody has. There's been so much about her. And I met up with an old friend of mine the other day, a lady called Karen Yank Gentle who was the daughter of Michael Bond. Oh, and yes. You know remember Michael Bond? The creator of Paddington, Paddington Bear. And when the Queen died, as you will remember, uh, with the flowers and tributes left at Buckingham Palace, there were lots of Paddington Bears, lots of cards featuring Paddington Bear and little Paddington Bears because of that wonderful film that the Queen made only a few months ago for the yeah. uh, her jubilee, uh, that little sketch of her and Paddington Bear at Buckingham Palace taking tea and her revealing that she kept her marmalade sandwiches in her handbag. People were enchanted by it. But not everybody knew that the Queen genuinely loved Paddington Bear and had a thing, a bit of a thing for Bond. They oh. were born in the same year, uh-huh. Michael Bond and the Queen in 1926. And for the Queen's 90th birthday, there was a special service at St Paul's Cathedral. And the Queen asked Michael Bond to write a story for that occasion. Oh. It was read by David Attenborough, again oh. of the same vintage And 1926 was also the year that A.A. Milne gave us Winnie the Pooh. Amazing. So I began thinking about Winnie the Pooh. And then I thought, what's the earliest A.A. Milne poem that I remember? And I suddenly thought, of course, it's their changing guard at Buckingham Palace, the headquarters of the royal family. Anyway, the Queen enjoyed A.A. Milne. And indeed, when she was a little girl, only three or four years of age, she was asked whether they could dedicate, A. Milne asked her if he could dedicate a book of his verses with music, 
turned into songs by a man called Fraser Simpson, where they could dedicate it to the young Princess Elizabeth. And her parents, the then Duke and Duchess of York, agreed. So this is a poem that was actually dedicated by A. Milne to the Queen back in the 1920s. You will be familiar with it. And it was one of my favourite poems from my childhood. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Alice is marrying one of the guard. A soldier's life is terrible hard, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. We saw a guard in a sentry box. One of the sergeants looks after their socks, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. We looked for the king, but he never came. Well, God take care of him all the same, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. They've great big parties inside the grounds. I wouldn't be king for a hundred pounds, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. A face looked out, but it wasn't the king's. He's much too busy assigning things, says Alice. They're changing guard at Buckingham Palace. Christopher Robin went down with Alice. Do you think the king knows all about me. Sure to, dear, but it's time for tea, <laughs> says Alice. Oh, that's brilliant. It's lovely, isn't it? Since they're um, a song, do they put it to music? Or... They did. Yeah, the changing guard. Of that, that's exactly it. And they, it, was, it was when the poems were put to music. The music was composed by somebody called H. Fraser Simpson. Oh, yeah. And that it was the collection of the verses and the music that was, with permission, dedicated to um, Princess Elizabeth back in the, the end of the 1920s. So the late Queen, she loved a teddy bear, whether it was Winnie the Pooh or Paddington Bear, and I can share with you that she had a soft spot for Rupert mm. Bear too, which is interesting that though the bear is German and American in origin, the teddy bear gets the name from the American teddy bear, uh, from you know, Teddy Roosevelt, mm. uh, and the first German German bears made by the Stife Company at the beginning of the 20th century. Mm. The most famous bears in the world, I think, can all be counted as British. Oh, I think you're right. I've forgotten about Rupert Bear. Oh, well, thank you for that. A lovely, lovely poem. And um, I loved our chat. I hope everyone else did too. Thank you for following us. And you can find us on social media as well, at Something Rhymes on Twitter and Facebook or at Something Rhymes with on Instagram. Something Rhymes with Purple is a something else and Sony Music Entertainment production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells with additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, Teddy Riley and he's a what bit. kind of bear is he? Well, exactly. He is a bit. He's more a fuzzy bear than a fuzzy bear, if you know what he looks like. Golly. Golly. <laughs> <laughs>